Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. All right, we've done um, an episode or two or a few on Isaiah Saldivar, and uh, this will be another one that will also feature Isaiah Saldivar, but will also include one of his demon slayer buddies, the so-called apostle Alexander Pagani. And and this guy's a false apostle. And he's been making the rounds promoting his new book about the secrets of breaking generational curses. Uh, are we as Christians to worry about generational curses? We're going to demonstrate in this episode that not only is Isaiah Saldivar a Bible twister, and he is, Alexander Pagani is a Bible twister, and he is, but the Bible nowhere teaches any of the practices that they're ga these guys are bringing forward to alleviate us uh, from, the, from the curse of generational curses. In fact, uh, I would note this is a follow-on to their false doctrine regarding Christians needing to have demons cast out of them, you know, for deliverance, uh, because here's what happens. That's not a biblical practice. Nowhere in scripture do Christians have demons cast out of them after they've become baptized penitent believers in Jesus Christ. Far from it. So uh, so here these guys are running around the landscape, basically casting demons out of people. And guess what? It ain't working, because that's not the problem. The problem is our sinful flesh. So they're saying, oh, well, you know, you've had uh, you've had demons cast out of you. Oh, uh, well, and it's not working. Well, uh, yeah, uh, it's because of generational curses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, do, you, do you catch a little bit of uh, cynicism on my part? But, uh, you know, I've done the prep work. I know what we're talking about here. So let's uh, whirl up the desktop. And uh, that's a, a photograph I took of the... Um, the uh, the Sydney Opera House from the uh, the Sydney Harbor Bridge. I actually walked across it just uh, about a month ago now, but uh, alas, that's been a while. So let me uh, let me whirl this up, and uh, let, let's. I'm gonna kind of jump ahead a little bit so you can see what I'm talking about. So what happens if you are suffering from you know, sin and stuff? You know, after they've cast demons out of you, listen to these guys. This this is like the other bit. It's like, oh, well, you need a generational curse broken kind of thing. Listen to what they say. And this is why many of you, though going through deliverance, you still feel like you're bound. And this is where Isaiah is funny because, you know, they go through deliverance with deliverance ministries and then they still feel bound, right? And watch, this is what happens. All right, so you've gone through their deliverance ministry. You've had demons cast out of you and stuff and stuff, but you still feel bound to your old sin and stuff. Hmm. You know why that is? Is because that deliverance isn't a practice. That's not your problem. The problem is you still have a sinful nature. But uh, we'll, get a, we'll get into that in the biblical text shortly. Then they think they still have a demon. Mm. So they go back to the deliverance ministry, get on the same line, and because we record our deliverance services, people think that we either hired actors or it's the same person getting deliverance or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we've noticed. <laughs> Regarding these charlatans, these guys are hucksters, by the way. These guys are like tin penny hucksters. So, and other people, other people who are actually warning the body of Christ about Pagani and Saldivar and uh, and the whole host of them. By the way, uh, I should note here they have a, another movie coming out, uh, and Pagani put out the the movie poster. And look at this thing. It's called the Domino Revival, and th this is like legitimately a wolf pack. So you got Pagani. 
Ghani and others. So you got Mike Signorelli, Julie Signorelli, Isaiah Saldivar, Alexander Pagani, Jenny Weaver, nutcase, by the way, Mark Driscoll. Driscoll has shown up with these wackerdoodles. Uh, Ryan Lestrange, go back into the archives of the Fighting for the Faith the YouTube channel. Go back into our archives. We have covered... <laughs> Ryan was strange so many times. It's not even funny. We did an entire series called Stranger Tweets based upon the weird nonsensical garbage that he was putting out on his Twitter account. Uh, and uh, let's see, Vlad uh, Sav Savchuk, this guy's just nuts too. I mean, this is legitimately a, a who's who of who are all the false teachers out there. And so the name of the, the, the movie coming out on October 24th in selective theaters only is the Domino Revival. Again, Mark Driscoll prominently featured uh, in that mix. It, it just This just tells you how far that guy has fallen. But uh, I fixed the movie poster the other day uh, and so did a little Photoshop work. I'm really enjoying Photoshop 2024. It has some really good AI tools uh, you know, for removing things. So I was able to rework the movie poster. It's not the Domino Revival. No, no, no. It's now the Wolfpack Rebellion. Uh, Mark can avoid every preacher in this movie. Movie. So, yeah, I, I <clears throat> shared that on my social media. <sighs> okay. All that being said, I'm going to note, people have noticed that uh, who are watching and paying attention that they have the same people showing up for the to, in order to have demons cast out of them by the same shady characters like Saldivar, you know, you know Vlad Chuck. <laughs> I don't think that's his name. We'll just call him Vlad Chuck. Uh, and, and Alexander Pagani and others, a whole host of these you know, this wolves. And they keep coming over and over and over again. It's like, hello? <laughs> What's going on here? Are you guys hiring actors and stuff? That's what it looks like. So Pagani's addressing this going, oh, no, 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 no. It's not that they, uh, they need to have demons cast out of them again. It's that they uh, they need a generational curse broken and stuff and thingies. Listen again. They still have a demon. Mm. So they go back to the deliverance ministry, get on the same line, and because we record our deliverance services, people think that we either hired actors or it's the same person getting deliverance or whatever. It is. The problem was they got delivered from the demon, but they had not resolved the curse that's there. Oh, they forgot about the curse bit. Oh, well, that's a big oversight. I just, hmm. Could you, I mean, seriously, oh, well, couldn't they get sued for, you know, like, uh, pastor, I mean, not pastoral, these guys aren't really pastors, like, spiritual prophetic malpractice? I mean, don't, doesn't the Holy Spirit talk to you guys directly? How come you don't know that they also needed to have a, a, a generational curse broken on top of having a demon cast out of them? When the curse gets resolved, there is a releasing in the spirit dimension, and the believer feels this release, can't explain it. There's just this release of, oh, something shifted and there is immediate results that are visual, that are. Uh-huh, so that's the claim. So uh, th this, uh, this generational curse doctrine, very important because the deliverance thing doesn't work. <clears throat> yeah, so let's go back to the, you know, near the front of the program and put some things in context. And uh, and so here, here's the beginning of the program. And we're going to note that Isaiah Saldivar is going to start off with a huge, and I mean huge, twisting of scripture. And the, the whole thing that they're discussing is the, the is uh, Alexander Pagani's book, The Secrets to Generational Curses. Seriously? 
I mean, if 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 breaking generational curses were a thing, it would be taught to us in the scriptures how to break generational curses. If generational curses were a thing the way these guys are describing them for the New Testament era, then the apostles would have demonstrated to us, and here's how you cast demons out of Christians and make sure you go back and you you break those generational curses too so that the, that person can really be free. So Pagani here is teaching us secrets to generational curses that are clearly not taught in scripture. So Saldivar is going to lead off, like coming to Pagani's rescue. He's going to ride in on his white horse. Oh, I got to help you. I need to find a biblical text that talks about secrets and so that we can misapply it to how you're, how you're talking about the secrets to generational curses. So here comes uh, Saldivar to lead off with some white knighting for the false apostle, Alexander Pagani. I do want to respond to something, a genuine question people had is the book titled is title is the secrets to generational curses your last book is the secrets to deliverance one thing people get keep getting hung up on and i want to show this in scripture and then give you a chance to respond right he's going to show this in scripture what scripture can you possibly go to isaiah to justify the unjustifiable here watch this twist it's so embarrassingly bad is secrets People are like, there's no secrets, brother. There's no new secrets. We don't need to talk about secrets. Let me give two verses just for our All audience right. as we start the show. Yeah, there's, there's no new secrets. Well, apparently there are because he's got verses. Okay. So, and then I'm going to give the mic over to you here. Luke 8.10. Now, this is Jesus Christ, the one that we are all following. This is the guy we've laid our life down for. This is the guy that is... Uh, you got that backwards. Jesus laid down his life for you. You don't lay down your life for Jesus. That's, that's, that's not the right way of putting it. You, you might end up losing your life or your confession of who Jesus is and what he's done. But Christ laid down his life for you. Fully God. This is what he said in Luke 8, 10. The knowledge, look at this, Luke chapter 8, verse 10. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but others... <laughs> I speak in parables so that, so Jesus tells us why he's always speaking in parables, so that they see, but they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. All right, so the text in question is Luke 8.10. Cross-reference to that is Matthew uh, 19, uh, sorry, no, Matthew 13, by the way. So let me do this. I'm going to duplicate this tab, and we're going to head over to Luke 8. All right, Luke 8, okay? And here's what happens in Luke 8. Jesus tells the parable of the sowers. In Matthew 13, we get a little bit more of the context of what's going on there. So let me explain. In Matthew, in the Matthew's gospel, it's very clear that Jesus was teaching very plainly up until chapter 13. And in chapter 13, he makes a big switch. And the big switch was that uh, he starts preaching in parables. And the disciples are, why are you preaching in parables? The reason he was preaching in parables is because while he was preaching out in the open and, and basically teaching people straight up uh, in simple language they can understand, uh, that it was the Pharisees that came along and said, oh, well, you know, Jesus, he's, uh, he's performing miracles by the power of Beelzebub and stuff like this. So they were utterly blaspheming the Holy Spirit in the things that they were saying. Christ calls them out for that. And then he switches it up and only begins to preach in parables. And there's a very specific reason for 
for that. So in this, then we, you know, the parable of the sower, sower went out to sow his seed as he sowed some, uh, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among the thorns, the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell in the good soil and they yielded and, and, and yielded a hundredfold. As he said this, these things he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. I always like to point this out when I preach on this text. The fact that Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, means that what was being sown was corn. I'm sorry, it was a bad pastor joke. I just had to throw that in there. All right, now what, so when his disciples asked him, what is this parable, what, what this parable meant? Let me show you in Matthew 13, what's going on here. Because the same, this is a cross-reference to the same text, okay? So when Jesus preached the parables, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, watch this, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is the answer to the question, why are you speaking in parables? And when, and so in Luke's version, they said what, the, what this parable meant. And so Jesus is making it clear. I'm preaching in parables so that you will understand, but they won't. In other words, you'll understand what the parables mean, but they who I do not want to know uh, the, them to know the meaning of, they won't know the meaning. That's the point. So to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and, to, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In fact, Jesus didn't tell parables in order to make his teaching more understandable. He told parables in order that certain people, that his teaching would be totally ununderstandable. That was the point. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and then I would hear him. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus makes it clear the secrets here being referred to is the secret of the understanding of what the parables mean. This isn't saying, oh, well, in the kingdom of God, there's secrets and stuff. You know, there are secrety thingies and 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 apostles like Alexander Pagani in the in the in the future are going to be able to discover secrets regarding the kingdom of God that no one else has ever discovered and thing by revelatory knowledge by the Holy Spirit. And so that's that's what the claim is here. So let me come back. And watch again how he twists this passage. Okay, let me give you one more. This is Jesus, Matthew 13, 11. This is Which is the cross-reference to Luke 8 that I, and I just read this out. For all of you in the chat that are going to say, oh, there's no secrets, brother. Why is the book called Secrets to Generational Curses? Matthew 13, 11. <laughs> totally twisting the, both these texts for the purpose of defending Pagani's false teaching that he has a secret information to give to us, revelatory secret information that he's gotten from the Holy Spirit as it relates to breaking generational curses. Jesus replied, you are permitted, okay, type that in the chat, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. This is, this is so embarrassing. I mean, seriously. 
The only people who are going to believe his twisting of scripture are those who who are absolutely biblically illiterate and uncritical, despite the fact that Christ tells us to watch out for guys like these. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, I speak in parables, so only my true disciples through revelatory knowledge will know that so that his, how did his disciples, by the way, learn the meaning of the parables? Through revelatory knowledge? Let's go back to Jesus. So in Matthew 13, now he's in this text. I've already read this portion out. So here's then, how, how did the disciples learn the meaning of the parable of the sower? Jesus told them, watch. So hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown along the, uh, among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on on the ground, on the good soil, on the good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit, yields in one case a hundredfold, another 60 and another 30. They didn't get direct revelation telling them what the parable meant. Jesus explained it to them on the spot and Matthew wrote it down. <laughs> so Jesus tells another parable, the parable of the weeds, and then he tells the parable of the mustard seed, right? Uh, and then, so uh, here's what happens. It, Matthew 13, 36. So Jesus left the crowds and went in the house and his disciples came to him and said, can you explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field? Uh-huh. Not through revelatory knowledge. So here Isaiah Saldivar is engaging in a fast one, okay, by basically quoting the passage out of context, ignoring what it really means, and pouring in meaning that is not there in order to, again, white knight for Alexander Pagani to defend his secret doctrine regarding, uh, you know, regarding um, the generational curses. Well, understand what I'm saying. Look at this. And the religious people will miss completely what I'm saying. The oh, yeah. See, I, see, to you, you can know the secrets of... Uh, of, of getting rid of generational curses, but those religious people, they'll never understand how absolutely gratuitous. And uh, that's a thought-stopping device, by the way. So anybody like me who comes along and says, that ain't what the Bible's teaching here at all, they'll sit there and go, oh, Rose Bro's a religious person. He's one of those people who doesn't understand. He's not being given the revelatory knowledge of the secret stuff thingies. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Those of you in the chat, now my chat probably won't say it, but other chats. Oh, I don't know right. about secrets, brother. You are the people he's saying will not understand. Even though you're hearing the broadcast tonight, you're not going to understand it. Even though you're what? Baloney. I understand exactly what Pagani was saying because I've watched this episode four times now and it's two hours long. 
So I can legitimately say, oh, I understood it. I understood it. I took notes. I understood it. I did the research and the cross-referencing. I d understood it so well that I was able to put timestamps on where I wanted to discuss it in order to blow this thing up for the completely false baloney that it is. I mean, this is phony baloney, fraudulent, false teaching. That's what we're dealing with here. So Pagani now is going to explain to us how he, he knows these things, these secrets via revelatory knowledge. Let's, let's listen. Guys, this whole book and what we're talking about tonight is revelatory things that God has shown Apostle Alexander Pagani. So again, the book is based upon direct revelation that God the Holy Spirit has given to Alexander Pagani, the so-called apostle. That's the reason why you're not going to find these doctrines, this teaching, this practice in the scriptures, because it's a secret that the Holy Spirit is given to Alexander Pagani. And if you believe that, I have a bridge in New York that I can sell you for cheap. I'll sell it to you for really cheap. But uh, listen in some more. We're not writing new doctrine. Yes, you are. And I'll prove it. We're not writing a 67th book of the Bible. We're not... Yes, you have, and I'll prove it. Revive the book of Enoch. We're telling nope. you stuff God has showed us through revelation. So, so God has showed this through revelation. <laughs> How come this doesn't jive with scripture if this is really something that God revealed to you? Hmm? Revelation through prayer, through the word. So secrets is that revealing. And the Bible does say God shares his secrets with his friends. And that's the baseline is right. So Alexander Pagani is God's friend. That's why he has a special revelatory information that isn't found in the Bible. Relationship with God. So the book's about generational curses. We have, we know a lot. All right. So I think you get the idea. Let's listen to a little bit of this discussion though. The pastors don't talk about this. This is a very mysterious topic. Uh, there's a reason why Christian pastors don't talk about this. And it's because what you guys have run into is the problem that is called the doctrine of original sin. And even though we are in Christ, we still have a sinful nature. That's the reason why we struggle with sins. And we will struggle with those sins until we die, because we're going to have a sinful nature until we are dead or until, or if Christ returns. If Christ returns and raises us from the dead, we will no longer have a sinful nature and we'll not have to deal with problems of our sinful nature and its sinful desires. So, so let, me, let me do a little bit of biblical work here, kind of ahead of time. All right. So when we talk about why, why, why do we Christians struggle with sin? I struggle with sin. You struggle with sin. In fact, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's not in us at all. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So why do we struggle with sin? It's not because of demons. You know, Christians are, put, are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit doesn't share his temple with demons. That's just nowhere found in scripture. Instead, there's a very simple reason why. And listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter five, and then it's cross references in Romans seven and eight. Paul says, walk by the spirit, conduct your life. That's what peripateo means here. It's a, it's a Hebraism that's stuck into the Greek. Okay. Conduct your life according to the spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells all Christian believers. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, they are against the spirit. 
the desires of the spirit, they are against the flesh. Who's Paul writing to, by the way, right? For those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, they are evident. You want to know what they are? Check out this list. Sexual immorality, mm -hmm. impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's quite the list, right? Where does, where does Paul say that all comes from? Your sinful flesh, your sinful nature, and the desires of your sinful flesh are contrary to the desires of the Holy Spirit and even who you are in Christ. So Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's where if the Apostle Paul was given the authority to teach the doctrine of generational curses and deliverance from demons, this would be the place where he says, and therefore you are struggling from demons or a potential generational curse, and here's how you cast those demons out, and here's how you break those generational curses. That's not where he goes. In fact, in the expanded teaching on this, in the book of Romans 7 and 8, watch what Paul writes as a Christian, talking about the law. Did that which is good, God's law, bring death to me. No, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. We know that the law is spiritual. I'm of the flesh, present tense, by the way, he's writing this as a Christian, sold under sin. I don't understand my own actions for I do not do what I want Instead, I do the, the very thing I hate. Does this sound familiar as a Christian? You sit there and go, yeah, that's, that's like my daily existence. Mine too, right? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but what? Sin that dwells within me. Nothing, no mention of generational curses here or even demons. No, instead, sin dwelling within your sinful flesh. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am, who, who will deliver me from what? Generational curses? Nope. D demons? Nope. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the flesh, that's death. Set your mind on the Spirit, that is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, it is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, and he does. So anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Solution to all of this problem? is recognizing the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in the sanctification of Christian believers. So then, brothers, Paul says, we're debtors, but we're not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If we're children, then we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him. So what's the solution? So number one, the problem isn't generational curses or demons. The problem is you still have a sinful flesh that is warring with you as a Christian. It, it is at war with you. And so how do we overcome it? Not by your own power. You don't have the strength to overcome your own sinful flesh. Only by the power of the Spirit do you have the ability to put to death the deeds of the body. And so that requires you to humbly ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help you. It requires you to continue to daily repent of your sin and cry out to God, the Holy Spirit, to give you strength to mortify your sinful flesh. That's what the scripture teaches. And you'll note, nothing here about breaking generational curses or anything. If This would have been the place to put it in the Bible if it was even a biblical thing, but it's not. So all that being said, let's now let them talk about these generational curses and stuff, which is a total twisting of scripture. And a lot of these doctrines, uh, Apostle Alexander Pagani has received them via revelatory knowledge from the Holy Spirit. It's not in the Bible. Topic in the body of Christ. Give us a, a base definition of what is a generational curse. A generational curse is a warranted verdict given by the courtroom of heaven against a person, a household, or a place that committed a transgression against God's law that warrants that level of consequence. Do you have a biblical text that says that? Because wait till you see the text I have. Now, let me mm. just say this. Not every sin warrants a generational curse. But there are some that will. Let me get. Okay. Let's see if I can reconcile what he just said with what it says in Exodus chapter 20. Consider these verses. Okay. In the context of idolatry, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And watch this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who what? Hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those 
who love me and keep my commandments. So you'll note that here in Exodus chapter 20, the threat of generational curses falls on everybody who hates God. But for those who love God, and that would include Christians, God doesn't promise generational curses. Instead, he promises steadfast love to those who love him and keep his commandments. So we got a big problem here. Alexander Pagani's definition of generational curse isn't even in the Bible. And his claim that you have to do certain things in order to warrant that level of, of reaction from God to receive a generational curse. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 makes it clear that everybody who hates God, and that would be everybody who's born dead in trespasses and sins, um, that God you know, threatens them to punish not only them, but their children to the third and fourth generation. That's awkward. Hmm. It's like it's almost like he's purposely avoided the texts that contradict his generational curse teaching, which, by the way, so much of this, he's received direct, direct revelatory knowledge from God, the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Give an example of that in practical application. If I have an argument with my wife and the rapture comes, trust me, me and my wife will be arguing on our way to heaven. We're not going to miss the rapture. If the rapture happens in the moment, if you believe uh, in the rapture, if you're pre-tribulation, um, we're both going to make it to heaven. It won't produce a generational curse arguing with my wife or getting angry with my wife or getting nippy with my wife. But if I commit adultery on my wife, adultery against my wife will produce a generational curse. Mm. Mm. But yet, again, Exodus says that um, God will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, just merely of those who hate him. It, it, it doesn't even mention uh, adultery at all. I mean, just those who hate God and don't keep his commands. That's everybody. Hmm. Okay. Let me also explain it like this. Um, there is robbery in the first degree. Robbery mm -hmm. in the second degree, yeah. robbery in the third degree. What's he appealing to? Is this a biblical text? Is this, why isn't he just opening up his Bible and saying, here's what the scriptures teach regarding generational curses, right? Uh, no, he's, this is an appeal to something within our experience in 21st century America, 21st century Western civilization. If this is really a biblical teaching, Pagani, why aren't you just opening up the Bible? Hmm? Because you can't. And then after robbery in the third degree, you get to misdemeanor. So that's kind of like the same concept in heaven. Not all sins lead unto death. And then there are some that lead unto death. And we'll kind of flesh that out a little bit later, the different degrees of sin. But ultimately, the generational curse is an edict. Is not a demon and it's not initiated by the devil. It's initiated by the courtroom of heaven against a person that has committed a transgression that warrants it. Where in the Bible does it say generational curses are an edict from the courtroom of heaven against those who've warranted this level of punishment? Just give me a text. That's where it starts, and then we'll flesh this out as the as we as we go further into this. Yeah, I wanted to add as well. the The word "curse" actually shows up over two hundred and thirty times in the Bible, and there's six different words in Hebrew and three different words in Greek that are translated to the word "curse." This is a, a one hundred percent biblical principle, and for whatever one hundred percent biblical principle, it's not even a doctrine. It's just been reduced to a principle. Okay, all right. So um, let's see here. Uh, th this is going to be their attempt to then give us biblical texts that teach generational curses, 
All right. So, and uh, here, here, here we go. Let me read some scripture here, and then. All right. So this in in and in this portion, okay, of this of, of this teaching, it it legitimately is titled scripture. So this is the scriptural basis. Okay. Give you a scientific answer and then a biblical answer. But Psalm fifty one verse five says, "Behold, I was shaped in iniquity." Notice how it doesn't say I was shaped in sin. Afterwards, it says. <laughs> At lo mevinavrit. You don't understand Hebrew, dude. <laughs> it's so obvious. Okay. And then it says, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I want to focus on that first part. Shaped uh -huh. in iniquity. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look at that text. By the way, he does not know what he's talking about. Shaped in iniquity. All right. All right. So here we have uh, pen and paper put to a, a psalm by King David after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet for his sin of adultery and murder. Uh, the, uh, in impregnating uh, Bathsheba, murdering her husband, then marrying Bathsheba, right? And he's confronted with the sin. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Watch me, th wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that I may be justified, you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth. So our Hebrew word here is cholati, uh, and this means to be brought forth in labor. And, and in fact, the, the root word for this actually is the word for like writhing, okay? And so it's, it's a very descriptive word that kind of describes a woman in labor, writhing in pain. And, and so uh, in, it, behold, I was brought forth in, by labor in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is a passage that deals with what? The doctrine of original sin. That's what this passage is about. But he's hijacking this to read into it generational curses. So fascinating what he's up to, but him making a shaped in iniquity. I don't know what translation you're reading, but again, the Hebrew word cholati here, it's, it means to be brought forth in labor, you know, and again, it's the, the base word has to do with writhing. Here we go. And we'll deal with that a little bit, a little bit later. Ephesians chapter two, verse three also says, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of yeah. the mind, and were by nature, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, right. <laughs> that's the passage. That's another clear passage regarding what? Not generational curses. It's the doctrine of original sin. Good grief. These guys do not know their Bibles. It's just annoying. So Ephesians chapter 2, great passage, by the way. Okay. Uh, and you... You, Ephesians, you, you Christians, before you were Christians, you were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. You were not mostly dead. Uh, you were totally dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, conduct your life, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
That's called the doctrine of original sin, not the doctrine of generational curses. So it's just unbelievable how these guys operate. Romans 5 kind of helps us out here, by the way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses over even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The free gift, it is not like it, it is not like the trespass, for the many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of, by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not, not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Pagani here is hijacking Ephesians 2 and uh, Psalm 51 to basically say, this is about generational curses. No, it's not. It's about the doctrine of original sin. This is the, this is describing how all of us became sinners and the consequence of our fall as a result of Adam's sin. That's what's being described here. And he's he's misappropriating this for what? Generational curses. Uh, here's, let me, let me give a scientific answer before I actually give a biblical answer for this because it fits. Epigenetic modification is a scientific discovery. You could... <laughs> I kid you not. If you don't believe me, go back and watch the video. You'll see it yourself. He's done with the scripture at this point. Okay, this whole section is titled Scripture, but now he's going to go on a rant about epigenetic modification. That's not biblical. Okay, some of the findings of epigenetic scientific discoveries may in fact be true, but this is not at all related to any teaching that we're supposed to believe as Christians. If it's not in the Bible, we don't need it. And I'll prove that to you, okay? So, at least when it comes to the life and practice of a Christian. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, Paul says these words, okay? This is a text I go to a lot. As for you, young Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, pasa grafe theonustas, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. If freeing people from generational curses were a necessary part or a Christian practice, a necessary part of being a Christian or something that we could do to alleviate the pain and suffering and difficulty our neighbor is going through, then the scriptures would teach it. It doesn't. 
at all. In fact, I would note generational curses fly in the face of sound biblical texts. Number one, I would note something here. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says these words, starting at verse 10. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Okay, everybody trying to save themselves by their good works, by their obedience, by their improvement in their sanctification, they're under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and continue to keep on doing them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And then watch what it says in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christians aren't under the curse of the law at all. The, the, the threatenings of God in Exodus for those who do not obey his commands doesn't fall on Christians. And f why? Because Christ has become a curse for you by bleeding and dying on the cross because the Bible explicitly says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a, on a tree. Christ was cursed for you on the cross so that you can receive the blessing of Abraham by faith. And then you look at Colossians chapter 2. Listen to this. In Christ, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of our trespasses, not some of them, all of them. By doing what? By canceling, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There is no courtroom in heaven that's going to hear a case against any believer because the entire record of debt has been canceled and nailed to the cross. So their claims that, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is a uh, generational curse is a uh, edict that's been given in the courts of heaven for, against those who warrant it. And they're talking about Christians. No, the entire record of debt has been canceled by Christ's death on the cross for us. There, there are no generational curses that we need to be worried about. So I kid you not, if you don't believe me, go back and listen. He's not going to appeal to scripture anymore. He's going to appeal to epigenetic modification. That ain't in the Bible. But then listen, so here's the $50 million question. How, how do I have a generational curse broken off of me? If, I've, if I'm under a generational curse, I mean, how do I even know? But how, how do I have a generational curse broken off of me? Listen to this nonsense. This is the perfect time. How to break the curse. Let's do it. You, you teed us off. How do we break the curse? I'm ready. I'm ready, bro. Break, <laughs> break every curse off me. Whatever's there, Lord, free me. How, how do we break the curse? That's what everyone wants to know. Yeah. Uh -huh, yeah. How, how do you do it? Number one is this. I can't give you all of them because then you won't get the book. Oh, I see. 
if this were in the Bible, don't you think you'd just be able to go to a biblical text and say, here's how it is? No, you can't, you're not going to find this in the Bible. This has been given to Alexander Pagani via direct revelation, revelatory knowledge from the Holy Spirit himself, right? So the only place where you can find these secrets is in his book, which means you have to buy it and he's going to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. In, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, the scripture says. Mm. But I'll give you the first two, but we will. We'll just give you the first two. Okay, do that. Pray. Do that. And I am yeah. going to pray for God to begin to reveal what those things are. Mm. It's number one. Let me help you understand this. You have to learn how to negotiate in the courtroom. Now, I know you're probably. <laughs> <laughs> what? Saying that's impossible. I have no idea how to do so I got to learn how to negotiate in the courtrooms of heaven. Where does it say that in the Bible? Yeah. No, what I am trying to tell you is this, is you got to get out of the mind of living room, babysitting Christianity and learn how to plead, plead in the courtroom. The word plead. No Bible text says this. Not even one. Not, there, there are no biblical passages that even hint at this. Okay. Which apostle said, in order to break the generational curse that's on you, and you, you, you got to learn how to plead. I mean, really plead in the courtroom of heaven. I, I haven't passed the bar yet. Okay. <laughs> I, in fact, I'm never going to take the bar. You know, I, maybe I should I should study law at the uh, University of American Samoa. You know, that way I can be in the same graduating you know institution as uh, as uh, Saul Goodman, man. It's all good, man. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Plead. Okay. All right. Watch this. Oh, it's yeah. where you and I get the word intercession. Oh. Did you know that the word intercession is a legal word? It means oh. to plead. Which Greek text are you quoting from again? Which, what's the Greek word here? What passage says these things? There isn't a single passage that says any of this stuff. The story of the unjust judge. Yeah, which is not a story relating to how to break generational curses. Remember it, those of you that are watching? What's yeah. the moral of the story of the parable? That the widow was banging on the door of the judge saying one thing. She didn't say, bless me. She didn't say, give me a new car. She said, give me justice. So, th so that parable, Jesus, the reason why Jesus told us that parable is because he was secretly trying to teach us ahead of time, in advance of, of Alexander Pagani's book, that what we needed to do was learn how to negotiate in the courtrooms of heaven. Give me a new home. What did the widow say? Give me justice. Give me justice. Now watch this. The Bible says that the just, the unjust judge said, I don't fear God and I don't fear people, which means he can't be bribed. But because this woman troubleth me, this uh -huh. woman is troubling me. She's banging on my door nonstop. Uh -huh. I shall give her justice. And the text says, and I will do it swiftly. The next verse says, shall not God swiftly answer them that plead before him. And then he says, 
All right, let's find this passage. Hang on a second. I'm just going to do a quick... By the way, Google's not a bad place to search for the Bible. Parable of the unjust judge. All right, here it is. All right, so, so if you want to know where it is, it's in Luke 18. See, you can just find it right that. Yes, don't underestimate the power of Google when it comes to sound Bible study. There are actually some pretty good tools if you, if you just want to do a search. What is that passage again? I can't remember it. You can find it by Googling it. All right, so we're going to go over to Luke 18. And let's just put it back in context. Is this a passage teaching us the, uh, the teaching us about how to uh, how to litigate against generational curses in the court of heaven by pleading, pleading, pleading? No. So Jesus told them a parable. Watch this. Verse one will tell you what this is about. To the effect that they ought to always pray and to not lose heart purpose of this parable is not to teach you how to defeat and break generational curses. It's about this idea of praying and not losing heart. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This sounds like the exact opposite of God, if you ask me, right? And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, so hear what the unrighteous judge says. And then he says this, and will not God give justice to his elect? God, who is nothing like the unjust judge, will he not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night in prayer? He, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Luke 18, the parable of the unjust judge is not at all about how to break generational curses. Alexander Pagani has proven definitively he's a false apostle. This, But when the Son of Man comes to the earth, will he find faith? What does that mean? Not the evangelical faith that we're talking about. No, he's talking about faith in how to move in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, this is known as eisegesis, reading something into the text that isn't there. Nope. Not, uh, there's not, that's not what Christ, this is all about praying continually and not losing heart. Verse 1 of chapter 18 specifically says that. Faith in the system. The system. This is why God told, uh, Jesus told the apostles, I haven't seen no greater faith in this Roman centurion. He understands how to move in kingdom. So the first thing... <laughs> Totally eisegeted. This guy is twisting the scriptures worse than a pretzel. Good grief. What I'm going to say is this. How do you do it? How do you do it? How, yeah, how, how, how? Please tell us how. I mean, but don't give away too much because uh, I mean, otherwise we wouldn't buy your book and how stuff. How do you do it? You got to get out of the mindset of prayer. Huh. Get out of the mindset of prayer. Let me read again verse 1 of Luke 18, the parable of the unjust judge. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray. Prosukamai is our verb, which means to pray, and to not lose heart. Wow. That, that, the, 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 the passage he was just pointing us to contradicts what he's saying. Shock. Mm -hmm. Shock. I'm gasp. I had no idea. This guy is a complete fraud. 
this him and his deliverance ministry and his breaking of generational curses ministry and Isaiah Saldivar, his sidekick. Uh, these guys are just tin penny con men. Into a mindset of pleading. Why? Because the prayer is in the pleading, which means you gotta begin to get a courtroom mindset. All right, I gotta get it. Where in the Bible are you admonished to get a courtroom mindset? Not in this parable, sir. When you go into prayer, you go into prayer. The second thing I wanna say is this, is here is where you do, and I encourage you, it's not a rule, but I would encourage you to get into some fasting and prayer. Why? Because it sensitizes you to focus you to be able to hear clearly from God as to what is actually going on. The uh, so you got to pray and fast so that God will tell you you have a generational curse. Yeah, um, so uh, Pagani and Saldivar, put them on your mark and avoid list. These guys are not real. They're phonies. They're frauds. They're, they're false teachers and false prophets and false apostles. And we are instructed in Scripture not to believe them. If they were true, then why? Then why do they have to twist the Bible in order to defend their doctrines? Wouldn't they be able to just open the biblical text and show us the, the doctrines of casting demons out of Christians from a biblical text? Uh, and casting and, and breaking so-called generational curses off of Christians, wouldn't they just be easy? It would be super simple. All they would have to do is go to a biblical text. This were really a biblical practice, but he's claiming, uh, this is via revelatory knowledge, secret information that God has given him directly because he's a friend of God and anyone who doesn't understand is because they're religious. Uh-huh. That's really convenient. They're frauds, false teachers. Mark and avoid. That's what scripture says to do. So if you found this helpful, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. Quick shout out and a thank you to all of you who support us financially and have joined our crew. Without your help, we could not be doing what we're doing. So thank you for your support of fighting for the faith. And we will always strive to do our best to, uh, uh, to do work worthy of the, of the support that you've given us. And so thank you. If you'd like to join our crew, there's a link down below that'll take, us, take you to our website so that you can join our crew. And again, thank you for your support. Um, so until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.